Uh, you can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, and today we're continuing our series of sermons through what I believe is the greatest sermon ever preached, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to read a handful of verses as we get started today. As you can see by the title of the, the title I've given this on the YouTube page, we're going to preach a sermon today called God is Watching. God is Watching. And then I've given the theme of my sermon in the description for this live stream. Are you living to receive glory from men? or to give glory to God. I've, I've given you the brief, briefer version in the description, but that's the heart and soul of this passage. But I'm going to narrow it down by the grace of God, and we're going to talk today about God is watching and how that should affect our lives. Matthew chapter 6, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. We're not going to read the entire first half of this chapter, um, there's a, a portion of it in the middle of this first half, verses 7 on down. We're going to save that for a different sermon. That'll be next week if, if all uh, goes well. We'll talk about God's guest room and the prayer closet. But in verse 1 we read, Take heed that you do not your alms before men. Now alms is when you give something, anything of value to somebody else, whether that's clothing, food, money, whatever it is. Do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the streets and in the synagogues, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy right hand know, I'm sorry, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. So Jesus is using a figure of speech. He's simply saying, whenever you go to help someone, you don't need to announce to everybody on the left side what you're doing on the right side. You don't need to, verse 2, toot your own horn. Don't, don't sound the trumpet so that everybody sees you doing it. Verse 4, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father, which seeth in secret himself, shall reward thee openly. And now Jesus is going to move from giving to talking about prayer. In verse 5, and when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father, which is in secret. And thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. Now what follows is more uh, about prayer. And as I said, we're going to cover that next week. So I'm going to bring your attention down to verse 16, if you would. Jesus follows... Uh, the statement about prayer with verse 16. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance. Forgive me, I'm going to move this back up. Of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. What does he mean by that? 
this person or these people that he's speaking to, the hypocrites, they give, they pray, they fast so that, see their motive, so that people can see them do it. Well, once people have seen it, recognized it, praised them for it, they got what they were looking for. So they have their reward. Verse 17, but thou, see as a disciple of Christ, our motives should be different. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face. That's a good verse to prove the use of hair products. You're allowed to use that stuff. Verse 18, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. If you would, bow your heads with me. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to continue with the sermon. Father, we want to come to you this morning and ask you to please, God, prepare our hearts Give us ears to hear, Lord. We, we believe what you said in, in the book of Revelation. You said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Father, we know that you're watching. We know, Lord, that at any time you're there. There's not anywhere that you cannot be. I pray that that presence would be real to us this morning. Might you manifest yourself to us in our living rooms and uh, the dining room table, wherever these people are sitting, in my office. Please come down, God, and let your presence be real. I pray that you'd speak to hearts and let the seed sink deep into the ground. And we ask all this in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Amen. As I mentioned earlier, the, the theme of what I'm preaching today, I believe, is self-evident from these verses that I've read with you this morning. Jesus is warning His disciples about the motive for what they do. He's asked, He's telling them, he's, he's commanding them, when you do these things, don't do it to receive glory from men, but do it to give glory to God. Now that's quite evident, and, and I don't think we need to spend a long time explaining it. I, I, I think we can all understand why that would be such a bad thing. It's a strange thing about hypocrisy. Nobody likes it, not even hypocrites. Not even hypocrites like to watch other hypocrites doing things for the wrong reason. I'd like to focus in and narrow things down even further, right? And this might even be more self-evident just from reading the verses, but I'd still like to focus our attention on it. Can I, can I have you go back and reread a couple verses here? Verse 4, it says, That thine alms may be in secret, and then this phrase, And thy Father which seeth in secret. Do you see that? In, in verse number 6, you'll see it again. In the middle of the verse, Pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. You'll see it again in verse 18. That thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. There's two phrases that Jesus repeated a couple times there. Number one, He says, Thy Father which is in secret. You saw that verse 6 and verse 18. When you think about the Father which is in secret, I can't help but think about Psalm 91, verse 1. The Bible says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High 
shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It's a psalm that a lot of people are familiar with these days because in that chapter it speaks about pestilence and how God can protect uh, the righteous from, from such disease. But verse 1 by itself of that chapter, what an outstanding promise we have. You can dwell in the secret place of the Most High. That is in the presence of God. All of us as believers, we have been invited to boldly approach the throne of grace. Why does it say in secret? Not everybody knows the, the passcode to get in there. Not everybody knows how to find the immediate presence of God. It's not immediately apparent. It's not physically something that we can see, but we're, we all have access to this. Thy Father which is in secret. That's one phrase. But the other phrase, even simpler, it says in all these verses that I, I doubled up on, Thy Father which seeth in secret. What's he referring to there? A simple thought, God is watching. But what is God watching? It says, The Father which sees in secret. In Psalm 44, verse 21, it says, Shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. God can see much deeper than any man, than any government uh, spy organization can, can penetrate. God looks on the secrets of our heart. Now, this is a truth you might be sitting there saying, I know this. I know this. And I'm sure that you do. The question is, does that truth affect the way that you conduct your life? Has it affected your Sunday morning at all? You know, these days with the coronavirus, the talk of a vaccine, the talk of uh, after you have been vaccinated, being implanted with some sort of a, a digital tattoo or a dot or a microchip. You know, people are very concerned about the government tracking their lives. The government being way too intrusive and watching our every move and so intrusive that they want to put something in our bodies. Now, this is not a sermon about that topic. And I think that we're right to be concerned about people invading our privacy. But let's be honest, folks, they've already done that, right? They haven't implanted it inside of our hand, but they've put cell phones in our hands. We have government, or government, we have computers on our desks and we take them everywhere we go. They, they're already able to track us and watch us. And I am not comfortable with that thought. Many of you are not. And I get that I, because I don't think that their motives are altogether healthy or upright. But the idea of somebody watching our every move, a lot of people get shook up about that. And again, rightfully so, I'm not condemning that. But the idea that God is watching, why should that not also shake us? Why should that idea not grab our attention? Now, when I say God is watching, depending on the condition of your heart, that's either really good news or really bad news. And as you let that simple thought, God is watching, sink in, you can, you can almost gauge where your heart is at this morning by how it reacts. If there's a sense of panic and fear, then you might need to do some fine-tuning of your heart. You, you might need this morning to say, God, search my heart. 
Try me, see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Help me to fix my heart so that the idea of you watching is not a scary thing, but a blessing. Like a, like a good shepherd that watches over his sheep. That should be a comfort to us that the eyes of the Lord are in every place. You know, the government, they, I do believe they're, they're a bit intrusive. The idea of putting something in our bodies to track us, not comfortable with that. But no matter how far they go with this, they can implant a chip into a person's body. But one place they'll never reach is the secrets of that person's heart. They can find out your bank account. They can find out your passwords for all your uh, emails and Google and Facebook. All the, they can find that out, but they can never find, they can never discern without outside help. They can never, they can never comprehend the motives, the thoughts, the intentions of your heart. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it's a verse I think many of you are familiar with, for the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Bible says so that, so that everybody is, it says, open and naked before him, before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Nothing can be hidden from the eyes of God. The Bible says there's coming a day that God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. I Now, as I mentioned earlier, I'm not a technological genius. I'm very infantile when it comes to this stuff. I can kind of see who's watching because there's a few comments that pop up. And some of you send me messages afterwards and say thank you for this or that or have questions. So I, I can somewhat see who's watching. And when we have the chance to assemble in person, I can see who has come. But one thing I'll never see is the attitude of your heart when I'm preaching to you. I might see your name on the screen here, but I'll never know the condition of the ground on which the seed is falling. I, I can discern it later on, after there is either a lack of fruit or uh, an abundance of fruit. But my job this morning, my job this morning is to sow the seed. Your job is to provide the good ground on which the seed falls. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 16, again, I think a passage many of you be familiar with, Samuel has been tasked with replacing Saul. And when Samuel goes to Jesse's house, he looks at the sons of Jesse and he sees Eliab, tall, strapping young guy. And he says, man, this, that, that just looks like a man of God. And the Lord spoke to Samuel and he says, that's not the one. For the Lord, he says, the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For, the, uh, uh, for man, sorry, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Right now, folks, as you're listening to the sermon, you're hearing the words, and God is watching your heart. He's watching the attitude, the intentions, the desires, the hunger, the passion of your heart, and He's saying, let's, let's see not just what they're receiving, but how they receive it.
I want to give you three simple thoughts about God is watching. Number one, God is watching. Because, because God is watching, you need to recognize the audience. Now, I know that might sound like a strange first point. Because God is watching, you need to recognize the audience. Not, you say, well, haven't you already given us this point? You've told us that God is, is the one watching. He's the audience. He's in the audience. And obviously, He sees more than anyone else can see. But you need to recognize that the audience is much bigger than just God. God is obviously the most important one in the room. But there's somebody else in the room that's watching. Can I just have you turn one page back maybe? First, or, uh, Matthew chapter 5. Look with me at verse number 16. Recognize the audience. You say, preacher, what do you mean by that? God is watching, but so are men. So are the people around you. So is your wife. So are your kids. So is your husband. So is your, your boss. There are other people that just society, their eyes, their eyes are open as well. Now, they don't see what God sees, and I understand that. Their opinion is not as important as God's opinion. I understand that. But man is still watching. I want you to see how Jesus even acknowledged this. Matthew 5 and verse 16. Jesus commanded, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now when you take this statement and set it alongside what we've learned in Matthew 6, Jesus said, do not your alms, don't pray, don't fast, to be seen of men. But here in Matthew 5, He says, let your works be seen by, by men. So how do, we, how do we mix these two thoughts? I am aware of the fact that as I live for God, I, I will be doing things publicly. There are times that I will serve God in a public forum. And I'm aware that people are watching. But I'm not doing it for them. They can watch me do something for God. I need to be aware of the fact that my life is going to have an impact on the people around me. Because God is watching, what is He watching for? He's watching to see that what I'm doing is done for Him and properly affects the people around me. This applies to giving, it applies to prayer, it applies to fasting. These are three areas, uh, three deeds that Jesus has used to illustrate His point. But, but folks, it extends to every facet of your life. Can I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3? And I'd like to show you where Paul, he also picks up on this point, but he, he uses a different area of service, and that is your, your job, the work that you do. Colossians 3, look with me in verse number 22. Colossians 3 and verse 22. Paul has already spoken to the wives, husbands, children, fathers. Now he's going to give a charge to servants, to employees. Verse 22, servants... Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Watch this next phrase. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Folks, when we go to work, it's not as if we can do that work in secret. I say that, we're on lockdown and a lot of folks are working in secret. You understand the general thought that Paul's getting across. When you do your job, 
you're doing it with one single motive, please God. If I do my job in a way that pleases God, then in most cases that is also going to make my boss very happy. Verse 23, he says just to really drive it home, whatsoever you do, right? Not just your job, but anything. Do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. What would it mean in verse 22 to do eye service? You do the right kind of work. You make it look like you're busy about the boss's business while he's watching, but only to put on the show to make it look like you're serious. And as soon as he's not watching, you no longer take your job seriously. That would be eye service, just to make him happy, and then you go on, just to get the paycheck. Guys, when it comes to God, you realize God is always watching. The, the boss, he's always watching. There's never a time that we say, well, now he's stepped out of the room. I can relax my standard for righteousness. I don't have to do my best. God is always watching. And because of that, I'm going to do the best job I can at work, as a father, as a husband, as a pastor. I, I realize that God is watching and therefore I want to make sure that I do a job that pleases Him. And if I do that, then I'm going to have the right effect on the people around me. You know, several, I say several, four or five years ago I think it was, I had some men come to me and they were interested in learning more about how to preach. I invited them to my house. I think there was about four of them there that day, if I'm not mistaken, three or four. And I gave them some tips and pointers about preaching. And I said, guys, you know, like most people, when it comes to public speaking, uh, you get a bit nervous when there's a, a, a big crowd in front of you or even a small crowd, right? But you, you get a little tense when everybody's watching. And I was trying to give them some tips to overcome that. And in order to do, do that, I, I, I illustrated it. I put them through a little exercise, if you will. I set out, memory serves, four chairs. I had one man get up in the pulpit to preach, and I had the other three men occupy three of the four chairs. I purposely left one chair open. And I said, now, gentlemen, envision that that empty chair is not, in fact, empty, but actually filled with the presence of Jesus Christ. He is also in the audience. Now, here's what happens. While we preach, it's very easy to get distracted by the reactions of everybody around us. We get to looking at their faces because we can physically see it with our eyes and we forget that there's somebody more important in the audience. If I preach that sermon in a way that is pleasing to that invisible visitor, then the people around that visitor, that around the presence of God, they are going to get what they need. I hope you can take this and apply it to every facet of your life to say, if I live as if the presence of God is real, as if the Lord is in the room with me, then everything else is going to fall into place. I'll treat my wife right. I'll take care of my kids right. I'll do the right kind of job. I'll pray for the right reasons. I'll fast for the right reasons. I'll give according to the will of God. All of that will fall into place. But because God is watching, you need to recognize all of the audience. Recognize the audience. 
recognize that that empty chair is not, in fact, empty. It's not only a good way to learn to preach. It's a good way to learn to live. Over these last three or four weeks, I must admit I've had a chance to practice this more than ever. Here I am sitting in my office, seemingly empty, right? I mean, I have an empty chair right in front of me. You can't see it, but there it is. There's no one else in this office physically. I can see a few responses on the screen, but the chat section fail, the comments fail me, so I've learned not to put much faith in seeing the comments. All I can go with is that unexpected visitor, if you were here last week and I preached on that, if, if, I can, if I can recognize that God is happy with what I'm doing, then the rest of the audience, all of you viewers, you're getting what you need. Point number two. Point number two. Because God is watching, you need to rectify your attitude. Recognize the audience. It's not just God, but everybody. And number two, rectify your attitude. Now, this, this flows naturally, right? Because God is watching, I need to change my life to reflect that truth. This is going to flow from what I've been mentioning in the previous point. I want God to determine the attitude of my heart. I want Him to determine what I say and and not just what I do, but how I do it. I want to see that, that God is working through me as a vessel. However, I also realize that as I do this, not everybody is going to react in a positive way. Some people are not going to appreciate the fact that I'm trying to do things for God. I cannot let their attitude determine my attitude. God is watching. I'm aware that my life will have an impact on men, but God is the, His is the only opinion that matters to me ultimately. Can I say this? As people give you feedback, right? It is okay to take into consideration what people have to say. You can hear their criticisms. That's not always a bad thing. You can hear their compliments and gain encouragement from that. Please don't think that if somebody sees you do a good work and gives you a compliment that they've stolen your reward. I've heard that before. I've heard preachers do it before. They preach a sermon and someone comes down and says, Thank you so much. That was such a good sermon. They go, Ah, man, I did that for God. Now you've you've given me a compliment, so you've stolen my reward. That's not the case. The Bible says, if any man love God, the same will be known of him. The Bible says in Proverbs, let another man praise thee, and not thine own lips, a stranger, not thine own mouth. The Bible says, give honor to whom honor is due. So if someone's done something uh, that's helpful, that encouraged you, it's good and right to let them know that. If they have provoked you unto love and to good works, let them know that. that. That feedback lets me know that I did something that God wanted me to do, and it did have the right effect. But I don't want to let those compliments go to my head and turn my attention away from trying to please God to say, okay, let me see if I can keep these compliments flowing. I don't want to be a compliment chaser, a men pleaser. But also, I need to take in the criticisms. People say, listen, I... I think you meant something. I'm not understanding you. I, I, don't, I don't know why you're doing that. Then it helps me gauge a little bit 
how I'm affecting the people around me. I, I, I'm not going to base my life only on their opinion, but it will help me. It will help me stay in line. I need to at least listen to it. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to allow popular opinion to be my standard. To say if everybody else is happy with it, then I'm happy with it. I'll take whatever it is, compliments or criticism, and then go pray about it. Take it to the most important person in the audience and say, God, so-and-so said, so-and-so said, but what do you say about it? I'll rectify my attitude. I will bring it in line, not with the will of the people, but with the will of God. And too many times, we know, we say it in our minds, we get it, God is watching, but we don't live like it. We don't bring our attitude in line with Him. We let the popular opinion sway us one way or the other. I'd like to show you an example of this in 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17. And it's a, it's a chapter many of you are familiar with. We're talking here about David and Goliath. Goliath has come out for 40 days and defied the people of Israel. The soldiers are scared to pieces. They don't know what to do. Who's going to help? Who's going to deliver them? Just let your eyes sneak down to verse 26. David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall... What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. There be great rewards for that. Now David wasn't interested so much in the rewards as much as he was in defending the name of God. Because this Philistine was defying the armies of the living God. That was his main concern. Verse 28, Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. Remember, Eliab was supposed to be the one, you know, strapping lad. He, he, Samuel thought he was the chosen one. He wasn't. He says his anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? Why did you, why'd you come down here? And with, with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? You see, he's trying to debase David, make fun of him. I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. You're up to no good. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. You're just a curious young kid. Man, you're just full of pride. You're talking big. You know, as I grew up, we, we would say, you're talking smack, talking trash, talking about who's going to take on this Philistine as if you could do something about it, David. Eliab accused him of pride. Now, was David full of pride? No. Was David there just out of simple curiosity? No. David was really concerned about this situation and prepared to do something for it. People might misunderstand your motives. They may not fully appreciate why you're doing something. Don't let that deter you. Don't let that discourage you. Notice further, verse number 32, just come on down a little bit. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Now bear in mind, David is an older teenager here. If I, I, I'm, I'm guessing a little bit, but I'm going to say older teens at the most. In verse 33, David said to Saul, or I'm sorry, Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth. And he a man of war from his youth. 
And David goes on to give Saul some illustrations about fighting a bear and a lion and just to show that he is equipped for this battle. God has enabled him. He has the heart. He, he has the ability. Notice Eliab thought, your motives are wrong. Saul said, you're not able. You're not equipped. People may doubt you. People may say, you're, you're, not, you're not doing it right. You can't do it right. You shouldn't even try. Yes, you're talking big words, but you can't back it up. They might accuse you of hypocrisy. You have one person to please. David knew that. Or somebody else, come on down to verse number 42, or 41 rather. Verse 41, And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David. And the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. He started to mock him, make fun of him. For he was but a youth and ruddy. He had a, um, a reddish complexion and of a fair countenance. Fair-skinned, that kind of thing. Verse 43, And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. He starts making fun of him, using bad language, and calling him everything under the sun, painting the air blue. David did not let the opinion of his brother, of the king, or of his enemy deter him from the will of God. David knew that there's somebody else watching his life, that there was somebody else present in that valley when he was going to fight that battle. Verse 44, And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beast of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. See, you've got physical weapons. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom thou hast defied. He said, you have a sword and a spear and a shield. I got God. You can take all of popular opinion, all of of society's opinion, put it on one side, and God's opinion on the other. God's opinion always outweighs it. It's always more important. Now you know that. Rectify your attitude. Recognize the audience. Yes, I'm affecting people as well. But that doesn't change the fact that God's opinion at the end of the day is the only one that ultimately matters. David's actions were determined by how he could give God the most glory. Imagine if David had listened to the people. Imagine if he had said, Okay, Eliab, since you think I'm being proud, I'll I'll hang back and I won't step up. Saul, since you don't think I'm ready, I won't even try. Goliath, since you think I'm such a a puny little wimp, I won't even fight. David said, I'm going to do right because it's the right thing to do and it's going to make God happy. If we could just let that simple truth sink down into our hearts, God is watching. Therefore, I want to live for Him. I want to bring my attitude in line with the will of God so that I have the proper effect on the people around me. By the way, David did have a great effect on the nation after he went and defeated Goliath, right? The nation burst out into rejoicing and revival and people are all excited. This eventually propelled David uh, David to be the king. Rectify your attitude. Recognize the audience. But there's a third thing I want to say. Back in Matthew 6, we saw this multiple times. Because God is watching, there are rewards to be accepted. Recognize the audience. Rectify your attitude. 
rewards to be accepted. Jesus said on three different occasions, the Father will reward you openly. Now, there's two ways to understand this. First of all, in the future, when Jesus comes back, the Bible indicates that your rewards are going to be publicly, uh, I want to say, in view of the public. Not only are you going to be given a crown at the judgment seat of Christ for your service, but also you might have the opportunity, the privilege, of reigning with Christ in that kingdom age, on that thousand years that He reigns on the earth. You can reign with Him. Well, that's obviously a very public position. It will be known that you were a faithful and good servant, so the Father will reward you openly. Right? In another place, Jesus said, If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father which is in heaven. That's a very open reward. What a great privilege. But the reward that, that Jesus has promised, I do not think that it's, that it's only something in the future. I believe that there is a present tense reward that can be received right now. And in every one of these examples in Matthew 6, giving, praying, fasting. And of course, we know it extends to every area, but if you look at those three things, a person who is busy doing those things is interested in seeing God work through him, through her, to help others. They want to see God work in their lives. They want to make a difference for God's sake. What would be the reward then? Well, look at it from the other side. I mentioned earlier, a hypocrite, he only wants to be seen of men. So he'll do the same things that we're mentioning here, giving, praying, fasting. He'll go through the motions of that, but only to be seen. And once he's seen, he has his reward. Well, if you're doing it for the right reason, giving, praying, fasting, not to be seen of men, to be, to be seen of God and to be used of God, what would the reward be? for God to actually use you. When you get to see your obedience change somebody else's life. Moms and dads, when your children come to you and say, Daddy, I know that you pray every day. Would you teach me to pray? Daddy, I've been hearing about the presence of God would you teach me how to find the presence of God? When you take a food parcel to somebody else that is desperately in need of it, hand them a gospel track and say, I'm doing this not on behalf of my, myself, not to gain any glory, but for the glory of Jesus Christ. I want you to know that because God has made a difference in my heart, I'm trying to make a difference in yours. On His behalf, for His sake, to God be the glory. Great things He hath done. Now, to watch that person's heart melt, to see the Holy Spirit grab hold of that person and begin to change the, their life, and, and to see the love of God penetrate into that other life. And you know all you were, you were just the vessel. But you were a vessel meet for the Master's use. I don't know if there's any greater honor on this earth than to be able to look back at something you've done 
and say, I wasn't sufficient of myself to think anything as of myself. My sufficiency was of God, but I got to see God use something I tried to do. As imperfect as my attempt might have been, God had his hand upon it. God used it. He blessed it. I got to see God work. That is reward enough. You know, I read in the Old Testament about Moses spending 40 days and 40 nights on Mount Sinai. He came down only to see the people having riotous parties and praising a false god, a molten calf, a golden calf. And he threw down the Ten Commandments. And he had to go back up the mountain for 40 more days, 40 more nights. The Bible says in Exodus 35, I believe it is, maybe the end of 34, as he came back down, his face was glowing. And when he looked at the children of Israel, when they saw him, he had to put a covering. The presence of God was so real on that man. Moses, while he was in God's presence, it's not as if he's saying, hey, look at me, I'm glowing. All he could do was concentrate on the presence of God. But when he came down the mount, the people knew this man has been with God. How can the Father reward you openly even today? If any man love God, the same shall be known of him. You as an individual, it's not as if you're walking around going, hey, look everybody, I got the presence of God. It, that, that, would be, that would be the hypocrite. But the person who goes in the prayer closet and shuts the door, who fasts and seeks the presence of God, what would his reward be? For God's presence to be manifested in his life. Not so that people recognize him as a spiritual giant. That person wants the presence of God to be recognized in his life so that other people can see, man, look, look at how God can be real for someone, to someone. Look at that. I want some of that. That provokes me to go seeking after God's presence. I know of no greater reward than God coming down, spending time with you in such a powerful way that other people recognize God is working in your life. Let me ask you this morning as I close this sermon. I'm not asking you to do it so that, right, so, for the only reason of other people seeing it. I'm not asking you to do that. But has your life positively affected anyone else's? Have other people seen your good works and not glorified you, but glorified your Father, which is in heaven? I understand some people may misunderstand and misinterpret your intentions. And we're not going to rectify our attitude to fit popular opinion. But I do recognize the audience. I want for people to see God getting glory through my life. I want God to smile. And if God's smiling, then that's all that matters. But I know if I read my Bible right, that's going to help the people around me. Even in this time of lockdown, I know that our sphere of influence might be a little smaller, but you can still make a difference in somebody's life. Whoever is in that room with you, turn your attention, set your eyes upon Jesus Christ. Know that God is watching and live like it. If I can't ask you to please bow your heads and close your eyes, we're going to close with a word of prayer.
But I'd like to ask you just to take a moment as we finish to just let that simple thought sink in. God is watching, and I need to live like it. Father, thank you this morning for your help, for your presence as I preach this sermon in a seemingly empty room. I'm so thankful this morning that I have your promise. You'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. Your eyes are upon the righteous. Your ears are open unto their prayers. That your presence is always available. You said that if we draw nigh unto you, you would draw nigh to us. Lord, help us to to take that first step, to seek you with all of our hearts. And the Bible says we will find you. You will make yourself known to that person. Father, we seek not simply to gain man's approval, but we do want we do want them to see what a difference you can make in a person's life. Help the moms and dads that are listening today. Let them have that influence on each other and the lives of their children. Husbands and wives, the same way, might they edify each other. Whether it's our workplace, schools, whatever it is. Help us, Lord, to have our hearts set, and our attitudes right, so that we're we're only interested in what you think, but we know that's going to help other people. Please use us as your vessels. Bring us back tonight, God, again. Let us be ready, have good ground as the seed will be sown tonight in the evening service. Lord, let us be hungry for the Word of God. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much for your time this morning. I do hope you'll join us again tonight at 6 o'clock.